when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to Jesus, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. This is the Gospel of the Lord. A seed is such a very small thing. Too small, in fact, it seems. Some of the time, it's this time of year, every year, that I start to think about growing celery, which involves really, really tiny seeds, and it seldom works out for me growing celery, starting with how easy it is to lose those seeds if I were to sneeze at the wrong moment. They'd be scattered, they'd be gone. And when you drop them in the soil, they disappear. You can't see them anymore. And as time goes on, even if the little sprouts come up out of the ground, my experience has been that most of them die. (laughs) I don't water them the way they should. I don't give them the light they should. I struggle to get that celery to grow. And it would be tempting every year at this point for me to think, as I so often do, these seeds are just not cutting it. They're too small. They're too insignificant. They don't have within them what it takes to grow. Maybe I should try something else. But I love celery. We love celery. And so I'm going to keep trying to grow celery trying not to sneeze, trying not to let those seeds blow away, trying to get over the fact that when I put them in the ground, nothing seems to happen for a long time. It takes something like three weeks for celery seeds to germinate. and You just wait and wait and wait, trying to forget the disappointment of the times that I put those seeds in the ground and nothing has happened. Nothing has grown. Now, the fact is that it's folly to imagine doing something different, something other than putting those tiny, insignificant seeds in the ground, because, after all, you don't get celery if you don't plant the seeds. It doesn't happen without the seeds. Without the seed, there is no hope of harvest whatsoever. Despite how frustrating it may be and how tenuous and fraught and risky it may be, 
There is certainty when it comes to not planting seeds. When I don't plant the seeds, nothing is going to happen. And so it would be folly for me to imagine that I could have celery without bothering with the seeds. That's how it is with God's word. There is no life without God's word. Not even a shred of it, not a sprout, not a little bit of a blossom, not even an emotion in the soil, nothing whatsoever. There's nothing at all, no hope at all without God's word. There is no life without God's word in spite of what you see all around you. And so it is worth talking a moment about what it is that you see all around you. In the world, among friends and family and neighbors who despise God's word, what do you see? It isn't life. It isn't living. In fact, it is really just dying. And that's tragic because there is hope. There is something that gives life. There is hope. But our world knows nothing better. And so our world turns things on their head. Our world glories in shameful things. Things that should remain hidden, things that are awful, things that are perverse. Our world glories in them thinking that that's all we've got. Delights and pleasures of the flesh, temporary things, things that scratch every itch that we've got. That's what the world thinks there is, but that is not living, that is dying. Our world praises things that are destructive of life. Look, if we can't guarantee that the seeds are going to grow, why bother at all? Let's just relish death. And you see that all around you. Mainstream in our world. Mainstream, destroying life in the womb. Ending life earlier, earlier than it should be ended. Devaluing life, thinking little of the good gifts that God has given us. Treating life like it's disposable something to be frittered away. Our world relishes that, praises things that are destructive of life because it has no hope. It thinks that the soil is dead and nothing good can ever come from it. And so our world delights in fruitlessness. How often do you hear people say, why would I bother bringing children into this world knowing what it is coming to? It's dead, it's hopeless. Why would I bother trying to build or grow anything? This world is dead and hopeless. It's dark and full of despair, and so let's just throw in the towel. If you look closely, you can see what is going on here. It is all a resignation to the grave. Our world cannot see a hope of life, and so it consigns itself to death. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Don't you see that? all around you. Don't you feel that even in your own heart when things don't go your way? When you have plans and they are foiled, when you have hopes for this life and they don't come to fruition, when you have expectations, wherever they came from, when you have expectations and they are not met, don't you find yourself just wanting to throw up your hands in despair, just to give it all up? Isn't that easy to do? Even at the slightest provocation, I wanted something different for dinner, the kids complain, and it is as though the world is ending. But we are not any better than children, thinking that when things don't go our way, we've had it. We ought to just give up. Of course, it is no wonder 
Because again, there is no life. There's no growth. There's no fruit. There's no hope. There's nothing worth having without God's word. There's no celery without the seed. Without God's word, there's no repentance. There's no forgiveness. There's no life. There's only that day of judgment, that brutal day of judgment that the writer of the Hebrews described today when no creature will be hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. If that's what there is, then of course, eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow you die, you might as well get the most out of it you can right now. St. Paul says it that way. He says, if in this life we have no hope of resurrection, no hope beyond the grave, then by all means, do what the world does. But if in Christ we have hope, if Christ has been raised from the dead so that we can rise from the dead as well, then, then we should live, not as though we're going to die, but as though we're going to live forever. We should live, in fact, seeing just what can come from the tiniest of seeds. Although many times a seed springs up and withers and dies for all kinds of reasons, nonetheless, in spite of that, in spite of our inability to make anything grow, to pull anything out of the ground or to make it blossom, to make it produce fruit. We can't do that. Nonetheless, it happens time and again. It happens time and again that one tiny seed produces an abundance, a hundredfold. More than you could imagine, almost out of nothing, God produces more than you could ever have hoped for. And so it's just one tiny seed that lands in the good soil and grows up and outdoes all of the loss all of the disappointment, all of the grief, all of the apparent futility of planting seeds, all it takes is one seed to grow up and bear fruit. And the story is entirely different. That is the story that Jesus is telling today. There is hope and there is life with God's word and life in abundance. Not more of the same, not this world on into eternity, but new life. New hope, a new heart that doesn't delight in dreadful, sinful, perverse, temporal, failing, fading things, but delights in what is good and holy and true. That's what is born by this seed, by God's word. Out of dead soil, soil which has no hope of producing anything on its own, out of dead soil springs life and growth and truly living glorying in what is honorable and good and not in what is shameful and detestable, praising the things that are life-giving, holding on to God's word for dear life, delighting in fruitfulness, in the growth of God's kingdom, passed down from one generation to the next, from one people to the next. It starts with one, but see how it grows. A friend of mine was telling me this week about his reflections on Paul's ministry in all of those ancient churches in the Near East, Ephesus and Corinth and Philippi, these places where he went and planted a tiny seed, the tiniest of seeds, in fact, a really apparently futile seed. Paul was beaten and left for dead and run out of town, and yet he planted the seed anyhow. And what is the fruit that has come from Paul planting those seeds? Well, look around and you see it. 
all of you sitting here because Paul planted those seeds. Who is to say what can grow from the seed of God's word? Who is to limit what God can accomplish through the tiniest and most insignificant of things? And so, unlike the world, do not resign yourself to the grave. Do not hand yourself over in a concession to death, but instead, think about victory. Think about conquest. Wait for the Lord and for his salvation because he's the one who does it. He's the one who works wonders and he has promised. He has promised by means of his word to raise the dead and to give new life to you. It's no wonder, in fact, because with a seed comes life and growth and fruit. That's what seeds are for. That's what they do. That's what God's word is for. That's what it does all the way from the beginning. Don't you remember the story about how out of nothing God created everything with a word? Let there be light and there was light. Let the earth bring forth seeds of every kind, fruit trees and plants and animals and you, you. He spoke out of nothing and here you are today. It's what God's word is for. For bringing life and goodness and wholeness and hope out of dead soil. That's what God's word accomplishes. And so, learn to use it. Learn to sow the seed of God's word. How does that happen? How is God's word sown? Well, remember how it seems too small and too insignificant. A seed always seems too small and too insignificant. And let that govern what you think about God's word. It is not in your many words or in your eloquence or in knowing every facet of the Bible or all of the names and how to pronounce them or all of the doctrines of the church. That is all good stuff to know, but that is not at its core the seed. Instead, the seed is this. Repent and believe. This simple message, this simple declaration that your sins will kill you, but Jesus wants to save you from them. This simple charge to turn away from your sins and believe that he has taken the penalty of all of your sins on the cross. As simple as that, nothing more needs to be said. That is the seed. Doesn't it seem too small? It's almost like it would just disappear. I have this experience so often. I think you've had it as well. You think maybe now is the time and you speak God's word and it's as though the words come out of your mouth and they just fall flat on the floor. What good did that accomplish? They weren't listening anyway. They just were full of spite and scorn. What good did that do? Now I'm embarrassed because I talked about Jesus. I used that word repentance. I talked about the resurrection of the dead. Who believes in that nonsense anyways? It seems like it was all a waste of time, a waste of breath. But remember, it's God's word. And from the tiniest of seeds, from this tiniest of words, God brings forth life. It's where your life came from. It's not because you figured everything out, that you are a Christian or that you have hope of salvation. It's not because your heads have been crammed full of esoteric facts, minutia of the Bible, that can answer every question. The reason you have hope for eternity is because you believe that your sins have been forgiven for Christ's sake and that on the last day when you stand before his judgment seat you will not be naked and ashamed but that Christ's righteousness, his blood, will cover all of your sins 
and that your heavenly Father will see you and say, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. That, that is what you gain with these tiniest of words. Repent and believe the gospel. Turn from your sin and be forgiven. Learn to use God's word in applying that to your own heart. Day in and day out. There's never a moment when you don't need that, that word from God. Repent and believe. You're faced with temptation all around you. At all times of the day, the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour you, and so you must hear. Say it to yourself. You must hear this precious word of God. Repent and believe. Your sins are forgiven. You must hear it in the face of grief and sorrow and loss and suffering. Repent and believe. Your sins are forgiven, and so eternal life awaits. These trials and afflictions are but a momentary sorrow. Fading away, a sorrow borne by Jesus himself on the cross so that you can have eternal joy. Repent and believe. Preach it to your own hearts all the time. Let that be the first thought that comes into your mind when you encounter anything. Happiness and sadness. Joys and sorrows. Trouble and successes. Whatever it might be, let God's word be planted in your hearts. Use God's word also in the lives of those around you, in the hearts of others. Apply to your friends and your family and neighbors these simple words, repent and believe. Hope in the joy of the resurrection. In the face of sorrow, know that Christ has come to wipe away every tear. In the face of grief, know that Christ has come to raise the dead. In the face of trouble, know that Jesus has taken all of your troubles in himself. He was brokenhearted for your sake. He saw you in your trials and had compassion on you. Put your trust in him. In the face of temptation, repent and believe. Knowing that the enticements of sin can never deliver what they promise, but instead will make you ashamed and guilty. They will lead to further and further sin and greater and greater despair. And so turn away now from your sins and be saved. Don't try to make up for them. Don't try to undo them. Instead, simply believe that Christ has washed them away. In the face of uncertainty, preach to your friends and your family and neighbors the certainty of this. That just as Christ was raised from the dead, so also death, not even death, can hold on to us. We must learn to use God's word better and better all the time. We must learn never to think like the world does, that it is too small or insignificant or that the soil is too dead and far gone. But instead, we must learn to see as Jesus sees, where his word is all-powerful and does every good thing and is, in fact, our only hope. You don't get any growth or any life if you don't plant the seed. You don't have any hope or any joy without God's word. Take care, brothers. Take care, the writer of the Hebrews says a little bit earlier, a little bit before our lesson. Take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ. That means we have his word in our hearts and on our lips. It is yours to share. 
It is yours to plant. It is yours to see the growth that God gives. It is yours to trust not in what your eyes can perceive or in what your ears can understand, but instead what he has said. His word has never been broken. His word is like rain that comes down from heaven and waters the earth and fills it with life. It seems small and insignificant, and it's good. It's good to say that about God's word, to say it out loud so that you can acknowledge it for the lie that it is. You have nothing more powerful, no better gift, no better weapon, no better tool in all of your life than God's word. Use it all the time and give God glory as he produces fruit in abundance. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen. Amen.